Welcome to As Spiders Do, the University of Richmond podcast where we share stories about our amazing alumni. I'm your host, Maggie Johnson, from the class of 2018. Today, we're bringing you part two from our live interview with Wednesday actor Jamie McShane and Emmy-nominated producer and manager Mark Provisero, where they answer the audience's questions. Thanks for tuning in, and now, on to the show. Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Jasmine Reed. I'm class of 2016, so a lot later than you guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and she's done. <laughs> but I think my main question is, what was the moment where you guys felt like you really broke into the industry? Like, whether it be with writing and producing or acting, what was the moment where you felt like this was my step that got me there? My first big, like, guest star break was on NYPD Blue. It was a big show back in the day, New York Cops, and I played a a New York detective. And um, the creator of that show, Stephen Bochco, was one of the big, big names in in TV. Um, And I wound up working for him quite a bit, and he was very, very good to me. But I would say that Mm -hmm. getting, you know, I auditioned for it, and then I, I booked it. It was a big deal for me at the time, yeah. I mean, there are a few steps along the way, but I, I'll pick when I got that job at a literary, a TV literary agency. You know, when I, that first day when I started there, I realized this might actually work. I was as an assistant. And for you, what led you more towards managing and producing versus directing? Um, well, I never thought about being a director. Have you now? No. Okay. No, I thought, okay, so I'll share this. When I was 28 or 29 years old, oh, I had been it. through a few professions. Again, I, as I mentioned, I, I always did well, excelled in sales, and I was not happy with my career. And I took a couple classes, like a weekend seminar, trying to figure out. It was one of those class, seminars that helped you figure out what you wanted to be with, when you grew up. Mm-hmm. And... I came out of it with a list of the top five things, and it was number one was, I don't, do you know this? Actor. Really? <laughs> yeah. You missed your calling, kid. I know. I don't know. <laughs> number two was a film producer. Number three was, I think, copywriter for mm. advertising. Number four was manager, or maybe manager and copywriter, I don't remember. Ma- manager and then agent. And I said, well, I'm 28 or 29. I don't. Someone had told me you need to give yourself 17 years to be successful as an actor if you're going to take it, as, take it on as a profession rather than as a fad. And, um, and I was starting at way, way too late. So I'm like, cross, the, cross that off. And then I said, okay. And the film producer, I'm like, I, don't under, I, don't, I, don't, I didn't understand the route to become successful. It wasn't clear to me how there was no clear track to go up to become a film producer. And again, I was old, and I was told I was too old to start in the business, actually, at 28 or 29, and um, without any start. And then manager-agent, that's the one that I connected to, and I said, oh, I understand. That's, again, that I, I can use my sales skills, and that's where I excel. And I, one of the principles in that course was lead with your strength, and that was a strength and I just thought I would break through, and then I'd figure it out from there, and I broke through as an agent, and then, you know, segued once I had enough experience into uh, managing producing. 
I have one last question for you guys. Um, what fraternity were you guys in? Or are you guys in? Pika, Pi Kappa Alpha. I knew it. They <laughs> <laughs> do some of the best parties. You guys both hit me like one of those. I knew it. Yeah. Thank you. They yeah, were but you close. were like 40 years later. Yeah, but the, the spirit's still there. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. First of all, terrific uh, tonight. Thank you. Um, how are we going to avoid these strikes? Mm. Writers, I think directors was another possible. Um, that's, I know, on a lot of people's minds here in town. You want me to do that? You want to? Fuck yeah. Uh, Sorry. Uh, I, I don't know that we are. I don't know that we are. I think that, um, the, uh, you know, there was one good sign in that normally the DGA makes a deal before the WGA, and I think they just recently announced that they're going to wait and sit behind the WGA. Normally when the DGA out of nowhere goes and makes a deal four weeks before the impending WGA strike, it takes a significant amount of wind out of their sail. Um, it, they, the WGA loses some of their leverage every time. And the DGA has done that many times. For some reason this time the DGA is not doing that. And I think it's because everyone has a residuals issue with the streamers, um, including the DGA. Um, you know, it's, it's uh, the WGA is saying, please don't talk about, refer to it, I just heard this today, as the strike, because there is no strike right now. It's a negotiation, and um, it would be awful. It would be really, really awful. This is not a great time for this to happen, and unfortunately, the issues are real on both sides. The writers have, lo have lost money relative to the other professions, including actors, uh, over the past 10 years, and... Um, and they're barely able to make a living and afford living in Los Angeles. And then on the other side, we all hear all day long that the streamers are actually losing money. So they're not, um, they're, they're cutting jobs and cutting spending rather than spending more money. So it's, it's, a, it's a horrible uh, uh, situation and moment in time for both sides. And you just hope that smarter minds uh, prevail and everyone realizes that it would not be great Certainly wouldn't be great for writers uh, for, that, for this to happen at this time, and writers are very aware of it. And even though the streamers say, we'll just uh, use international programming and, and reality programming to fill um, our slates right now, um, I, I, there's, I can't imagine that they actually would rather do that. They just, that's just their strategy if it happens. And so hopefully, hopefully uh, they, you know, everyone comes to the table with an intention to, to actually negotiate. But kind of on that note, it's, it's so difficult as an actor now because so much is out of town. I mean, I shot um, Wednesday in Bucharest, Romania. I mean, I was there for seven months. I got, you know, two of my own kids, two of her kids, and, you know, it, it was a long haul. And at the end of it, the big tax break they were supposed to give us, the tax incentive, they, they just bailed. No. Roma yeah, Romania just bailed. It was like 30 million or whatever. And they're like, yeah, no, we're not going to pay that. You know, it's rough, and I think we're going to do season two possibly in Ireland or, or London, which is, you know, lovely, but it's just, I'd like to do something at Warner Brothers and ride my bike to work, you know? Hey, I'm Seth Lewandowski, graduated in 04. Um, Jamie and I, I was actually in a movie, not with Jamie, we didn't have any scenes together. We did that movie, The Meanest Men in Texas. Are you in that too? Yeah. You look familiar. We did that, yeah, there's a lot of people in this movie. Um, and we did that Q&A 
at that theater, and you've probably done a million of them. But, no, so I haven't. It's, it's hard to really remember. Invited. <laughs> in Glendale, right? Yeah. Was it in Glendale? Yeah. I honestly can't even remember. Okay. Anyway, we met afterwards. Yeah, yeah. We talked for like a second, but this was a number of years ago. And I'm still an actor. My question is, and hmm, it is, I don't want to get too personal here, so feel free to say I don't want to answer that. But mm -hmm. it's about sort of, uh, people talk a lot about mental health and talked about the struggle and the rejection. And I'm curious if either or both of you have had any mental health struggles, you know, dealing with the rejection in the industry and, or just in general at all in the industry that you want to talk about at all in any way, shape or form. But you don't have to. Yeah, I mean, yes. Yeah. I mean, Jesus, where do I start with that one? I, I've alluded to when I was a kid, something happened and I didn't follow my dream. To sum it up, I, I slipped on sawdust in school. I smacked my head, my skull cracked and cut the artery. And I wasn't supposed to make it. I got a scar here, a hole in my head. And um, I made it through it, which I wasn't expected to. And then that's when I kind of just gave up on everything. And then the guy in Australia was like, why not? So I, I do. I struggle, like we said, I struggle with rejection. I struggle with, you know, the fear of not being able to provide for my family. Um, I, I struggle with it a lot. And I don't know... You know, like my girlfriend's like, I think some of it's PTSD from when you smacked your head, you know, a million years ago, and or it's this and that, and so yeah, it's a it it's a constant battle, and that's where it's it's interesting because for me as an actor, the and and I think I blow things out of proportion, like I I absorb too much and I I don't let it go as much, even in even in college, like people used to just shit didn't sorry stuff didn't bother them and it, it would sit with me it would just sink in and as I became an actor I found an outlet for that stuff and it's helped my career immensely me as an individual getting through the day I, I, not so good so I, I struggle with it I, I refuse to take any medications or anything because I'm afraid it would tarnish whatever it helped you know it helps me as an actor but yeah all the time. Thank you. Ah, God, my wife is sitting right there. I feel like she's going <laughs> to answer. <laughs> I'm so curious. Whatever I say, I'm going to hear some some uh, notes on it when I leave here. I don't. Ah, I'm, I'm sure I go through bouts of depression. I know I do sometimes, and when I don't exercise. I mean, exercise has probably been the number one thing for me. Yeah. I would say two things. I have found that I my personal uh, observation is from for my body if I go three days without exercising it's not good so um, I have I've it's it is sacrosanct if it's been two days and I haven't exercised I'm exercising the next day um, for me I enjoy do things rather than being in the gym tennis or surf you know whatever it is outside or something active or sport related so my brain is activated that's really crucial. And work within the workspace, you know, what has led me to go through the path of, you know, obviously the challenge of, of this profession, I, I don't know how to apply, you're an actor, correct? Yeah. I don't know how this applies, but I'll tell you, um, I remember when I, my first year as an agent, I said to my boss, how much servicing should I do of the, of the, comp of the company's list, whether I like the client or not, or is drawn to them creatively or not, and, Thank God, he said zero, none. He said, your first year, 
that it would be successful if you find one great person you're excited about and you get them staffed on one terrific show. That's it. And so that's been my prism ever since. So I find that people get burned out or their mental health is stressed more when they're doing things that the more they're doing things they don't want to do. Right. Yeah. And I was given the license from the very beginning to um, build something and, and as a representative. It's your business is your list of clients. And I was given the license to build people I was only thrilled about. And I was true to that almost all the time, not all the time. I uh, certainly made, you know, choices that I realized I shouldn't have made. But by and large, definitely by and large, 80, 90% of the time, I only pursued people that I was excited about, genuinely. And that, um, I think that that has been its own um, pharmaceutical for me. Thank you very much, guys. Thank mm -hmm. you. Thank you. Really appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. Painful. Andrew McReynolds, uh, 2005. Uh, I actually just had a question, uh, sort of an odd one, uh, relating to artificial intelligence um, as it relates to like chat GPT and script generation. So, you know, in theory, uh, it's obviously just, you know, come out recently, but I don't know if uh, the question is if the industry is doing anything to, you know, help protect artists or are they're having any conversations around it. Um, you know, because presently you could basically turn to the computer and say, you know, hey, I want a 30-minute, you know, script in the voice of Shonda Rhimes on, you know, like a candy store or whatever, and it'll, you know, knock it out in a second. Um, and then obviously then you don't have somebody to pay who's a writer and, an, you know, an artist on that end. But, uh, yeah, so I was just wondering, is there anything that's being discussed around that? Uh, and have you noticed anything that's been popping up, i.e. chat GPT scripts that people are sending in? The mental illness question should have come after this one. <laughs> <laughs> we have been talking about it, um, and it's so new. You know, Chad GP, GPT, right, just mm -hmm. arrived a few weeks ago, as far as I'm aware, and um, one of the uh, leading... Um, uh, one of the leaders in the entire industry, this lawyer named Ken Ziffrin, just wrote... Um, a white paper on it that I have saved that I haven't read yet that I'm going to read this weekend and I'll I'd be more informed to answer the question um, right now the rhetoric is the conversation is you know um, AI can write a script but it doesn't have a soul to it you know maybe that's true right now but this is first generation so I have no idea I have no idea you know I heard someone say writers won't write structure necessarily but they'll uh they'll become less writers and more editors moving forward i've heard that i don't know what that means i don't know what that looks like i don't i have no idea what the um, you know what the parameters are in terms of uh, cr uh cr creative controls or protections it's it's a great question that you know is we're going to be figuring out over the next year or two cool. yeah, good question. thank you Hi, I'm Grace Brady, class of 88. I don't know if you would remember hey. me, but nice to see Hi. you. Um, mine's a silly question, but first I just wanted to thank you both for your time and um, your hum humility. Um, I, I'm new to L.A., moved to be closer to family, and you have this image of L.A. as Hollywood, and, and Jamie, your comment about being appreciative and making a living 
um, I think is very important, and I appreciated that. Thank you. Um, and both of your comments. So my only question really is a silly one, but would you want your children to follow the careers that you followed? If that's what they want to do, yeah. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't recommend it. My my son Luke has always been a uh, a stage performer. He he sings, and you know, um, he's always wanted to do something. You know, he's a, he's actually a really good lyricist. Um, I wouldn't want to direct him into it, but if that's what he wants to do, awesome. Liam, my younger one, really, he's interested I th very much in the film business. He's not sure what he wants to do, but he loves the idea of writing adult, what do you call it, animated comedy like Paradise PD. Mm -hmm. So Mark produces, uh, you know, some of these shows that are just hysterical. And they're, they're it's like, you know, Hanna-Barbera looking cartoons, but they're, <laughs> They're raunchy and they're hysterical, and my son Liam is really drawn to that. <laughs> and he's very smart, so I mean, it's it's, it's a great industry. Are you in the industry? No, no. It's a, it's such a wonderful industry to be in. It's it, it's for me, it's like a team sport. You get on set. This is your job. This is your job. We're all trying to get the same thing. You know, set up the shot. You know, come in, do it. And it's just, I love the collaborative aspect, and I love that we create something artistic, you know, you with the lighting, you with this, da-da-da-da-da-da, and we, we make this package, like, I, I just, I love it. So mm -hmm. I love the industry, so that, yeah, you yeah. know? I mean, I am, in the, I am in the arts, and I do love the collaborative aspect of it. What, what bit of the arts? Um, well, I worked in the um, art museum world for most oh, of my career. Um, but in college, I, the irony is I was a theater major, but behind the scenes, I was the one who did the laundry and the costume <laughs> department. I acted in one play, and you quickly know <laughs> whether it's for you or not. So, yeah, but so I, I really love the arts and just love hearing people who are very appreciative to being in the arts, okay, um, cool. like the both of you. So, thank you. Yeah, thank you, you both. Again. Thank you. you. Too. <laughs> Maura Soden, uh, I was there when just they changed after the name Boatwright University. That's wow. how far back I go. All right. No, seriously, I think I'm the oldest one, 78. Uh, anyway, uh, Mark, this is particularly geared for you, I think. Um, a few years ago, packaging technically stopped. Oh, my gosh. Is that true? You guys are coming after me tonight. We are, Mark. <laughs> Well, you did mention you have clients and you look for appropriate material for them, and that's mm -hmm. normal. So people are still sending you scripts knowing your client list, correct? Correct. Okay. Will you, will you just briefly explain packaging, like, in a nutshell? So, yeah, so, Maura, you're asking about, like, what are you asking, what are you asking about packaging? I just wondered if it, it does seem like it would still have to go on, but you're not maybe funding shows? Or, or, or scripts for your clients. So you're saying when they announce as of like a couple years ago there's no more packaging, mm -hmm. are we still actually putting the elements together? And is that that's the question? Yes. So the packaging, I, I want to try and answer this so it's not boring to people who don't uh, care about this, this part of it, but it's a really great question. Agencies took a packaging fee, and that's what they went after, not anyone else. So just, and I'm not an agent, but the agencies were no longer actually, most of the time, actually putting the, the show together with this, the writer and the actor, and they were just taking a huge fee out of the, out of the license fee. 
just because they had represented a really important client, um, but doing nothing to actually put the show together. So that has um, that has gone away. And you're asking, are we are people still putting the elements together? Mm-hmm. And you know, I would argue, um, if anything, more so. Because now, instead of receiving a passive fee uh, for just representing one person and not having to be motivated to do anything else, now you need is to supplant that income that you've lost. You need more elements, more people involved with the project to commission each and every one of them. So there's actually, I think, more motivation um, for for agencies to uh, to actually package, which is interesting. What are you trying to package? <laughs> Did I mention? <laughs> I'll, I'll go now. <laughs> Thank you very Thank much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to As Spiders Do from the University of Richmond Office of Alumni Relations. We hope you enjoyed hearing from today's alumni guests and learned a little bit more about what it means to be a Richmond Spider. Thank you to Olivia Huber, Class of 2025, for editing this episode. Our episode music is by FAS Sounds from Pixabay. You can subscribe to As Spiders Do wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review to let us know what you think. We're always looking for new stories to share, so let us know who else we should feature by emailing us at alumni at richmond.edu. That's all for this episode. Talk to you soon, and remember, there are spiders everywhere, and that's a really good thing. Thank you.